0: Mockles, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 131 for the week of July 6, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, July 6, the moon is in our evening sky nearly half full. First quarter is on July 7th at 0213, Universal Time. By next Tuesday, July 12th, the moon will be nearly full and up for the whole night in our southern sky. We still have four bright planets in our morning sky. Mercury, now getting close to the sun, is not easily visible. Saturn rises before midnight. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, July 6th through Tuesday, July 12th? It depends upon where you are located. This is the brightest satellite in the sky. This week we have four zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 63 degrees north, in south of 57 degrees south, you will not see the International Space Station this week. But the remaining 95% of the world's population will be able to see it. This is rare for it to be visible to so many people. North of 25 degrees north, up to 63 degrees, it will be in your morning sky for at least part of the week and it may be visible up to three times per night. All of you in this zone will also start to see it in your evening sky, too, as the week progresses. Those between 25 degrees north and 57 degrees south will see it in their evening sky for at least part of the week. To determine where it will be in your sky, Go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. This year, I'm telling the story of each of my comet discoveries and about the time of the year that they occurred. Today, we'll be discussing my seventh comet discovery on July 6, 1994, 28 years ago. You can see a copy of the discovery story with pictures on my website, donmackolds.com. Here is the story of that comet discovery. When we moved from San Jose, California to Koufax, California in September of 1990, I had expected that I would build an observatory as soon as our house was finished. The house was completed a year later but the observatory would have to wait for another two years. During that time, I had considered two observatories, one a small one, eight feet by eight feet, rotating one that would hold the five-inch homemade binoculars, and a second larger roll-off roof observatory for my 10-inch reflector. In time, however, I designed a roll-off roof observatory which could house both instruments. This roll-off roof observatory had had to be different than most, as comet hunting is often done low in the sky, and in this case, the telescope was mounted rather low. Therefore, the walls could not be very high unless they could be easily removed. Meanwhile, the roof rolled down to the south, raised and lowered with a bolt-trailer Winch. Actually, gravity <laughs> gravity lowered the roof. It took sixty five turns of the winch handle to bring it back up. I began working on the observatory on july thirty first, nineteen ninety three. I was working five days a week, so weekends and each evening after work was spent on construction. The size of this observatory would be 16 feet running north to south and 10 feet running east to west. The floor was in place by August 8th, and a week later the walls were done. The walls consisted of 12 panels that could be removed while the roof was still up. By Labor Day 1993, the roof was completed in the observatory was finished on October 2nd. Inside, I placed my 5-inch homemade binoculars. They weigh about 150 pounds on a pipe mount, and they were on wheels. The 10-inch reflector was mounted on an English yoke mount. For the first time in 18 years of comet hunting, I now had an observatory from which to work. I had electricity, and the observatory was elevated above the ground to keep out critters. Now, the year 1994 began with my writing of an article about a lost comet called Periodic Comet de Vico, seen for the first and last time in 1846. The orbit calculated at that time and many times since then indicated the comet should return on a regular basis, but it had not been observed since 1846. I did not do original research on this comet in its orbit, but found sources from previous 20 years that seemed to indicate it would be returning soon. This article was written for the Strolling Astronomer, a publication of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as ALPO, of which I was the comet recorder. This took much of the spring of 1994, and I completed this article by late May. Then, on September 18, 1995, a year and a half later, I was one of those who independently picked up the comet as it returned. None of us who recovered it got our names on it. My next project was to write a book about the Messier Marathon, an activity that I helped to develop in the late 1970s. The Messier Marathon is an attempt to find and observe all 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula cataloged by comet hunter Charles Messier more than 200 years ago. This book would contain an atlas showing how to find the objects, and several chapters about Charles Messier, his catalog, in the marathon. I started working on it on June 1st. It was a huge task, and I wanted to have it completed by late October. Then I would self-publish it. Meanwhile, my comet hunting continued unabated. I had discovered my fifth and sixth comets in 1992, and I was presently searching about 270 hours per year. That's about 170 sessions yearly. Since my sixth find on July 2, 1992, which I talked about on this podcast a couple weeks ago, two more comets were visually discovered in 1992. None were found visually in 1993, and one was found in April 1994. By the end of June, the first half of the year, I had done 114 hours of comet hunting for the year, and that was shared between my 5-inch binoculars and the 10-inch reflector. The big comet news in 1994 would be the collision of Comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 with the planet Jupiter between July 16th and 22nd. The comet was fragmented and so the pieces would slam Jupiter for nearly a week. No one knew prior to the collisions what the results would be. Full moon in 1994 was on June 23rd, and I began a series of comet hunting sessions in the evening sky on June 25th, sweeping the western sky until moonrise in the east. I was also out on the evenings of June 27th, 28th, 30th, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. I skipped July 4th and the evening of July 5th so I could be out all morning on Wednesday, July 6th. That session started at 1 a.m. using the big 5-inch binoculars. I was covering the northern polar region starting at 42 degrees high, that's 5 degrees above the North Star, and over the next couple hours picked up two faint galaxies, NGC 2268 and NGC 1530. It was a warm night, 63 degrees Fahrenheit, and no wind. At 2.45, I heard a train passing through the town of Koufax, two miles away. It was powering up so I suspected it was headed north over the Sierras. On the radio, the song I Swear by a group called All for One was playing. It begins with, I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky. At 2.47 a.m., I picked up a fuzzy object about magnitude 10 and almost immediately realized this must be a new comet because I knew of no known object was in this area except for Galaxy IC 342. That was two degrees away from this location, so I went over to it and looked at it. The object I found was not this object. Within five minutes, I had made a drawing of it to check for motion and had plotted its location on my star atlas. With 60 minutes until morning twilight, I had plenty of time to check the comet for motion and communicate with the Central Bureau for Astronomical Telegrams of the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, also known as SAO. So I went into the house, turned on my computer, and dialed up the SAO at 307. This was 20 minutes after I picked up the object. One of the services offered is a comet checker. You enter the coordinates of your object, and the program will tell you if any known comets are in the area. I entered the position. The result was no objects found. That is good news. I then left a message, quote, I am presently checking out a possible comet at 3 hours 56 minutes plus 70.2 degrees. More Later. I went back out to the binoculars and checked the motion of the object. It had moved slightly with decreasing right ascension. I got my 6-inch dinoscope Reflector Telescope out of the garage and set it up on the front deck. I then woke up my wife Laura and son Matt to look at the comet. Both did, and both could see it. Before closing up for the morning... I examined the comet with a 10-inch telescope to confirm its position, motion, and appearance. I then went back to bed for an hour. When I awoke, it was business hours on the East Coast, so I called the SAO and talked to Dr. Brian Marsden. He said he was nearly late for a meeting but had seen my earlier message. He then said that Eleanor Haling of Palomar had photographed it and gotten a position for the comet. Dr. Marsden then confirmed my discovery position and data. I then asked if anyone else had reported it, and he said yes. Two Japanese astronomers saw it before I found it, and it would have all three of our names on it. He commented that this might be the longest name of any comet, 25 letters. Actually, Comet C, 1930-D1, peltier Shawasman wachman has 26 letters. And Comet C, 1955-N1, Bahagwak-McFarlane-Krenke, has 25 letters. All three of us used large binoculars to find the comet. Nakamura and Nishimura were using commercially made instruments. My binoculars were homemade by me in 1983. The objectives are old aerial photography lenses with front lenses of 6.2 inches diameter. Each objective is made of five elements with the back one being 4.5 inches in diameter. This was the fourth comet discovery with this instrument. Looking through my notes... I keep notes of what areas I cover and what I see. I was sweeping in the area on the morning of July 4th, a session that began on the evening of July 3rd. I swept for a while in this area, working my way downward in the northeastern sky, and I stopped sweeping while still 10 degrees above the comet because I was tired. If I had continued, I would have picked up the comet on early on the morning of July 4th. On July 6th, when I actually did pick up the comet, I started where I left off on July 4th and continued working downward in the northeastern sky. On June 11th, I swept the polar region, covering the area above the comet and working downward, stopping about 10 degrees above it, then starting near the horizon and working my way up this time stopping 10 degrees below the comet. And on the evening of June 27th, more than a week before I actually found it, I also covered the polar region and either missed the comet while sweeping over it or, more likely, did not extend my sweep all the way to the right where the comet was due to a tree in that part of the sky. I did several interviews for both radio and print, but most of the questions and interest was in Comet Shoemaker-Levy 9, which was due to hit Jupiter in two weeks. Now, this comet eventually traveled south in early September, moving at 3 degrees per day, which is very quickly. And my last view was in late September 1994. I tried to see it on my birthday, October 7th, when it was only eight degrees above my southern horizon, but I failed to see it. Under the new comet designation system introduced in 1995, the comet was renamed C1994N1, Nakamura Nishimura Macholtz. In 2002, two faint comets were discovered by Linear. They are C2002Q2 and C2002Q3. Their orbits are nearly identical to each other and they are linked to each other. But get this their orbital elements are similar to the comet discovered here, C1994N1, but it's unknown for sure if they're all related. I found this comet, 574. search hours since my previous find two years earlier. I had searched on 337 sessions, morning and evenings, since I found my previous comet. This comet was 30 degrees high in my sky and 54 degrees from the sun and in the polar region. In the summer, it's useful to cover the polar region, as the sun is far north and one can easily sweep to within 45 degrees of the sun, even at midnight. On August 6, a month after discovery, this comet passed within 5.2 degrees of a comet, which I would find a week after that date. Then eight weeks after that discovery, I found my third comet in four months. One of the discoverers of this comet Nishimura, discovered a comet last year in July of 2021, not visually, but using photography. This comet he found was less than 20 degrees from the sun in ninth magnitude. If he had not found that comet, it probably would not have been found. And that was his first comet discovery uh, since the one we found together back in 1994. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? See the International Space Station this week. And see Saturn late at night. You have been listening to Looking Up With Don" podcast episode number 131 for July 6, 2022. I'm Don Machos. Once again, the related website for this podcast is... DonMacholtz.com. That is spelled D O N M A C H H O L Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at DonTheAstronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is DonTheAstronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing. I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We've got some meteor showers coming up, and we'll take a good look at Comet Pan stars. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.